Welcome to the Sustainability Research Pod, a podcast where you hear about applied research into education and sustainability. This podcast is brought to you by members of the Sustainability Research Group hosted at London Southbank University. The Sustainability Research Group is a collaborative, multidisciplinary group actively involved in researching practice, policy and pedagogy relating to sustainability. This episode was recorded at the Sustainability and Climate Action Conference in June 2020. This session was titled, How Small Creative Acts Every Day, Like Wearing Odd Socks, Can Lead to Big Paradigm Shifts that we need in society to tackle climate change. Jasmine Paradisito, artist and visiting lecturer in the School of Engineering, defines a paradigm shift as a profound change in a fundamental model or perception of events. I'm really pleased to introduce um, my colleague and friend, uh, Dr. Jasmine Paradisito, um, artist and visiting lecturer for the School of Engineering um, and general all-round amazing person when it comes to <laughs> sustainability no and climate issues no <laughs> pressure at all um jasmine is going to be uh, the title is is how a small creative acts every day like wearing odd socks can lead to the big debt paradigm shifts we need in society to tackle climate change so we're looking at some big picture stuff here but really how the, really those small acts as alessio has just said how those small acts can make a difference and that's actually a recurring theme throughout throughout this um, throughout today and the rest of the conference is it's action it's small action and it's collective and I think that's that's the beauty of what events and conferences like this bring about so Jasmine I'm going to stop talking and hand over to you. (laughs) Okay hello everyone good afternoon and thank you so much for joining me at the end of the first day my name is um, Dr Jasmine Pradesito I'm artist physicist physicist educator public speaker uh, an environmentalist well it's kind of crept up on me um, and what's fascinating, just before I start my talk, um, I want to talk about the, the little small acts that lead to paradigm shifts. And that's one of the things that I've really appreciated from listening to all the other speakers today, that in order to kind of make, you know, the big sort of systemic change that we need in the world, it's going to start small from individuals. And then hopefully by putting pressure on the bigger institutions, we can really, really change things. So it would be lovely if any of you could comment on, on Twitter using hashtag team LSBU or LSBU sustainability or climate action. Uh, but this is me. This is, this is who I am. Um, so uh, I am a member now of uh, Climate Declares an Emergency. So as I say, as an artist, physicist, all these various different things, this, the environmental thing has crept up on me. I've spent 20 odd years working with children. I must have spoken to tens of thousands of children, adults, institutions. I am an alumnus of LSBU. I did my first degree there before going off to UCL to do a PhD in physics. But the odd thing about me is that uh, I had always been artistic. I always wanted to be an artist. And invariably, the things that you want to do that you don't do will creep up on you and you'll end up doing them anyway. So whilst I was at UC, I was also studying art. I went to Goldsmiths. And then later on, when my son was a bit bigger, I went back to art college. But that's the doing stuff. What kind of transpired during that time is more and more people kept saying to me, how do you think the way that you think? Which, of course, we don't really think about. And one of the things I do really like about LSBU is that we're not just giving our students skills. We're teaching them how to think. 
And that is the way that I think that we can get ourselves to the next level, which is effectively what we have to do. So uh, if you don't know, Climate Declares an Emergency, please go and have a look at it. It's uh, something that artists have joined. There's also Music Declares an Emergency. Various museums are joining. I'm working with the Horniman Museum at the moment who have declared a culture emergency. And it's, it's ways that we can all start to think about our practices regardless of what, what it is that we do. And by all means, please do look me up on Instagram as well, because I won't be talking about my own practice particularly today. I'll be doing that on Thursday. But if you would like to see the artwork that I make, by all means, do have a look. So um, it's, it's about mindset. That's one of the things that has really come over to me loud and clear today. We have the technology, we have an awful lot of the know-how, but we have to change the mindset. And uh, yes, I've got three kind of very different pictures here. For many years, I used to get up at five o'clock in the morning, drive around the country. Uh, I would invariably get dressed in the dark, end up at uh, various schools with either odd socks. On one occasion, it was odd shoes, which was actually very special, <laughs> and jumpers on inside out, et cetera, et cetera. But one of, the, one of the interesting things about doing anything that is outside your comfort zone, and I'm talking about teeny tiny little things, is that you create a new thinking path. You create a new neural pathway in your brain that you otherwise hadn't had. And in fact, the more uncomfortable it feels, the better it is. So the physical act of making a decision to put on odd socks, as bizarre as it sounds, this, this ability to think in divergently to the way that you normally think can take anything you do in an entirely different direction. It's, it's about changing your perception. It's about changing your mindset. And I see this, this massive systemic change that, that we are faced with, with the environment and, and equality. Um, this massive paradigm shift will only happen from the teeny tiny little creative acts that we partake of every day. And then if we bring that thinking into our profession, these are medium-sized creative acts. And by linking all of these together and collaborating, we achieve the great big sort of shifts. And we've seen them throughout history, whether it be the Renaissance or the Enlightenment period or the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, the information revolution. These things happen when ideas and people come together. Um, we're entering a new sort of revolution at the moment. But what's been fascinating about COVID is the amount of mobilization that happened so rapidly when something became very personal when it suddenly became about the individual or those close to the individual, we could change things. And I think, and it's been mirrored in discussions I've heard today, I think that part of the problem with climate change is that it's so vast and it's so, it seems so far away that we cannot get our heads around it. But we can do little small things every day, like when it's cold, just wear an extra jumper instead of turning the heater up, for example. If something gets broken, take the pleasure in trying to learn how to fix it. So this, these small acts of creativity, I, I think these are the ways that we could kind of find our way out of the problems that we now have. Um, E.O. Wilson, known as the fa father of biodiversity, a very interesting uh, biologist, naturalist, he lost sight in one of his eyes when he was a child. And uh, the vision in his other eye meant that he could see very small things in a very sort of detailed way. He reminds me... Uh, as so many scientists do, of artists who really look at things. One of the reasons I believe 
cultural art in particular, not just art, literature, music, but art in particular, is that artists learn how to look at things, not to see what they imagine is there, but to see what is actually there. And that's a skill that that takes that to sort of circumnavigate. And even as an artist myself, every time I go drawing, I go, no, don't put down what you think an eye looks like. Actually look at the eyeball. And he kind of, he got very, very interested in ants and the hierarchy of ants. And known as this, as I say, the father of biodiversity, his ability to see these tiny little things but in a great big way. But when he was talking about how we protect the biodiverse world, that we should give up vast swathes, vast swathes of land to protect species, because we now understand again through COVID that we are all, we're all connected by the tiniest, you know, bacteria and viruses. Our bodies are made up of bacteria. And if animals live in proximity to humans in the way that they haven't before, of course, things are going to cross over. So protecting the teeniest, tiniest of creatures, as well as the great big beautiful ones that we love, is incredibly important, I think, as our to our evolution as, as human beings. So um, this sort of perception, his ability to look at things in a different way, how did this kind of, how did my perception change? Why did it change? Um, this is uh, a piece of my NOx pollution absorbing work. It's one of a series of four, which is based on the uh, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which I know is, is quite a dark subject. But my perception about all of this work, and until about four years ago, I, I made things because I could. I got interested in innovation. I got interested in crossing over of ideas, uh, challenges. I'm one of those people that goes, oh, what would happen if I did this? But four years ago or so, my son, who doesn't very often suffer from asthma, had a major asthma attack one summer. Uh, this was just before he went to university. Uh, he was really unwell. And I remember sitting in A&E in Lewisham, sort of at two o'clock in the morning. And for the first time, I really thought about the nature of breathing. It had never really, it had never really occurred to me. So again, this, this, the fact that this had become very personal uh, for a while to me really made me question it on a, on a grand scale. And I suddenly thought, wow, you know, breathing, this simple act, and it's the most fundamental. I mean, we talk about water and food and everything else that we need, but we can only survive for three minutes without a breath of air. And when you think, I think something like 7 million people in the world dry, um, die prematurely because the air is of insufficient quality. And with more people moving to cities, uh, I think something like 80%, is it? 70, 80% of people will live in cities by 2050. The quality of our air is incredibly important. So, yes, uh, Milton Friedman, economist. Um, I love this this little phrase, and it also reminded me of something out of the film. What was it? Uh, not 2012. I can't remember. Oh, the day the Earth stood still. That's right. It's only when your back is really against the wall. It's only when you're in a real crisis that you are sometimes prepared to change things. So I left the hospital with Kieran. I wasn't really thinking about this in terms of work and then I was offered an opportunity to make a piece of public art for London and because of my connections because I am so lucky to know so many brilliant engineers and designers and scientists uh, I could find a, a brand new material to work with uh, which I will mention a little bit more a, a little bit later. So this idea of the fourth revolution the the one of concepts it's about ideas um, this to me is uh, it's incredibly exciting. 
Uh, I'm not sure that we're entirely ready for it yet. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about LSBU, uh, especially being a student when I went there, is that it it gives people a second chance. It's a place that if you haven't jumped all the, the hoops at the right time or you haven't ticked all the boxes as you should have done, that doesn't mean that you're completely disregarded. In fact, the fact that you may have done other things makes you even more valuable. And, and I love the idea of that because that for me is we, we've loved that even more during COVID than at any other time. No longer is it uh, you know, the sort of, the, the, I don't know whether it's the, the traders or the accountants or whatever. It's, we didn't have any need for things like that, but we did have need for the people to collect our bins and for the postie to bring the bits and pieces that we were ordering and for the corner shops to stay open and neighbors appreciated when you knocked on the door and left shopping. These, these things became huge, you know, and that simple walk into, into the garden or into the park, that was the highlight of your day. And, you know, I know it was a, it is, it's still going on a time of worried about our families. I have two vulnerable parents. But in between, you could find a joy that was, it didn't, it didn't cost anything as such. So you could hear new bird song. For me, the blue skies, the quality of the air, it's one of the reasons that we have put together an exhibition, which you'll see at the end of the week, where we ask people to submit photographs of things that had moved them during quarantine, things that they had experienced. Because I don't want people to forget. Uh, when we talk about going to the going back to normal, that fills me with utter dread. I, d I don't want to go back to normal because it wasn't that great in the first place. And the lovely thing about this, this whole conference is that we're trying to create a new type of normal, really promising. But anyway, let me get onto this slide. <laughs> That's another one of the pieces of my art uh, on, on the left. But Dan Pink is uh, one of my favorite writers. When I first started doing an awful lot of this creativity speaking, I think it was about 10 years ago or so, there were two books. There were two books that I could find on creative thinking. Now there are hundreds of books, just as it's so accepted that you would combine art and science. But it wasn't when I was kind of starting out. But Dan Pink used to be uh, a speechwriter for the White House. And there is a lovely book that I like, uh, Why the World Will Belong to Right-Hand Brain Thinkers. But he makes the point, and it's a beautiful paragraph, that the future belongs to the pattern makers, the inventors, the empathizers, the poets, the artists. Of course, I'm a bit biased, <laughs> but putting value on these things, these things that are so intangible, I think is, again, one of the things that is going to save us as a species, not just simply save us, but for me, I have great hope that we can transcend, we can, we can reach a level of awareness, um, group awareness, which we, which we haven't really experienced before. So let me give you some examples. These are just a few, few examples of projects. Um, for me, I obviously as an artist, as a scientist, I, di I didn't know anything about the business side of things. I've learned a great deal more about that. But one of the things I've really learned about is the power of storytelling and being able to get your message out in a, a tangible, perhaps physical, but simple way. So these are just... Uh, some images from projects. So a few years ago, I was a fellow in creative creativity at Derby Silk Mill Museum, which is an interesting museum from the Industrial Revolution, but it's also accompanied by um, a museum for Joseph Wright artwork. 
And so I kind of created a whole set of activities that join the engineering to the art. Here you can see some kids playing with a giant spirograph. I had to learn how to use um, a massive CNC machine. So again, with all of this, my learning never stops. That, that's, that's the other thing about creative thinking that I think people just don't realize that as you get older, as long as you are blessed with your health, you actually become more creative with age because you have more stuff in your mind suit, which again, I'll mention in a minute. But so, yeah, so this biograph was invented by an engineer because he got so fed up of trying to explain how cogs and, and gears and wheels and things worked. So he created a tangible physical object and it was the most, one of the most successful toys of all time. So through play, he could educate uh, mathematically and engineering wise. I love this idea because yeah, I will, again, I'll mention play in a minute. The hat, for example, is uh, I made with a Milner and it's being worn by a young woman called Serena Churchill, who was a great granddaughter of Winston Churchill. The reason she is wearing it is Churchill used to have, well, he didn't collect dead butterflies. He used to have, um, I can't think of the word, a reservation for butterflies. I'm not into hats, I don't really wear hats, but I realized that if we could make a hat out of discarded plastics with the associated narrative, we could get out a message about biodiversity and the things that you could allow to grow in your garden or simply not cut your lawn. We could get this message out that butterflies are endangered in a way that sometimes you simply can't by telling people the scientific facts. The same with the method bottles, which I'm going to cover in detail in a moment. These are on the shelves. I'm not on commission, by the way, now. Um, we, we, you know, this was, this was a project that we did and it's over, but you can find these. But these were, um, the patterns on the bottles were a limited edition of artist bottles. And the idea was to create something so beautiful with a message that you simply wouldn't want to throw it away. And then the portrait, the light portrait of Arthur Miller, Professor Arthur Miller was one of the first writers about science and art. He wrote a very famous book about Einstein and Picasso. Uh, decades ago, in which he was making the links uh, about big paradigm shifts such as cubism and relativity happening alongside them, uh, e alongside each other. So, yeah, I'm interested in future thinkers. I'm obviously interested in the environment. I'm interested in how we can make a change. Oh, yes, those are, uh, and a lovely Alessio was on just before me. We do run uh, a course that we have done on creative engineers can change the world. Here are some of the engineers being incredibly divergent in their thinking because <laughs> we would ask them to sculpt with whatever was in the room, uh, which was invariably on this occasion. I think they found some frames. We always have a bucket load of string. Um, but that's the other thing I can honestly say about creativity, especially as an artist. We usually don't have huge amounts of funds, especially when we're starting out. I was a skip lady. I still am a skip lady. I will stop and have a look. But one of the things I've learned is the less stuff you have, the more creative you become. But it has to be in the thinking. You have to put the time and effort into the thinking. So as I mentioned at the beginning, these small creative acts uh, lead to uh, medium-sized creative acts. And if you put them all together and you allow them time to breathe, we can actually change the way that we look at things. So uh, in terms of creativity as well, because it's intangible, um, God, I wish I had a, a pound for every time somebody said to me, yeah, but how can we measure this, Jasmine? How can we measure the benefit of your course or whatever? And I go, well, you can't, you can't. But I can guarantee 
that at some point in the future, somebody will have had an idea that they perhaps haven't had before. Somebody will go and perhaps change their lives. I have had a few emails from people over the, over the years who have had a massive existential change in what they've done. And I can guarantee that if you start to engage with it, you, you will feel better as an individual. If you think of uh, science, technology, engineering, and maths by adding that extra artistic element. Um, so for example, in, this, in the States, yeah, more and more masters of fine arts are being employed on the boards of companies. Um, at Harvard, they're using artists to teach medical students how to look at paintings. Because if you can really look at a painting and read it, it means you can really look at a patient. So a patient might be saying one thing to you, but actually if you can look in between the lines, you can see that the problem that you think they have is not actually the problem that they have. So um, this particular piece is a small piece, again, made from NOx tech, which is the NOx absorbing pollution. But what I love about this is it, I, to create this, I had to make a connection that I hadn't thought about. I wanted, I wanted these very fine lines. I wanted the, the leaf-like structure, and I just couldn't achieve it in any other way. It used to drive me bananas. And then I did what I'm going to mention in a minute. I went off and I did something entirely different. And I remember the numbers of times that I'd um, gone to Italy, driven past the cornfields with my father, and I thought, corn, corn leaves oh, they have that pattern, and looked up some cookery programs uh, or cookery things on the website and ordered a whole load of corn. So this, these art pieces are completely sustainably sourced, um, and I've never been able to make art like that. And one of the things about culture declares an emergency is that we do have to think about the amount of waste that we create when we're making. We do have to think about where it's come from and basically its legacy. So just quickly, this, this sort of, and I'm being incredibly simplistic about the left and the right-hand side of the brain. Um, but invariably, scientists and engineers want to converge in upon a solution. But if you want some of the best solutions, you need to be divergent in your thinking to start off with. And this is probably, this is one of the things as an artist that I think I bring to things. I get people to think in a way that they wouldn't have done. I get them to stop, you know, whenever the engineers come in the room and go, right, you leave engineering at the door, there's not going to be a single equation in here. Um, very simplistic, but if you think of the education system, it was based on the left-hand side of the brain. Uh, this is for the industrial revolution. So uh, it was logical, it was A to B, how long does something take? Things have a definite answer. It was based on mathematics, reasoning, uh, being able to speak, right? That's the left-hand side of the brain. So it was really only in the 60s and 70s, they kind of went, mm, well, what's the right-hand side for? Must have a function. Everything in the body has a function. And it was at this point that the scientists felt brave enough to start approaching the concept of what genius is. Because until that time, it was just one of these mysterious things that you were born with and uh, you, know, you either had it or you didn't have it. But we now realize that actually a lot of the very, very clever stuff, a lot of the ideas come from the right-hand side of the brain. And it also leads us to a state of flow. So I don't, I'm sure an awful lot of us have experienced it, whether it's cutting the grass or cleaning or painting or creating a piece of music or going for a walk, that time when you lose sense of self and you lose sense of time, that's when you're really in a state of flow. And 
one of the reasons this is so exciting to me, one, I am addicted to it. I'm addicted to being in that state of flow. And two, I want other people to experience it. Because when you're in a state of flow, you don't need to go shopping. You don't need to engage in, uh, I don't know, you don't need to engage in things that distract you. And it makes you feel good. It does, it makes you feel good. And hopefully you might make something, you might pick something, but it's brilliant for your well-being. So this idea of this conceptual thinking is all about the new stories of high concept and high touch. So concept is about the making, the functionality of something, but high touch is how it relates to a human being, to a person. So everything from, and I've worked with, a, so when, when we talk about story, the number of engineers I've worked with, for example, are brilliant inventors, but when they have to go and pitch or tell a story, they find it incredibly difficult. So storytelling, so symphony, this, this sort of uh, connection making, the, I, this is what the idea of genius is, that genius make connections between seemingly disparate things. And then if we move to high touch, empathy, again, we, we saw the power of empathy during COVID. It was so much about that, actually putting a value on caring for people and thinking about somebody else. And 20 years of working with kids, I love to play. Kids love taking risks. They don't really care if their trees are purple or go over the edges or it doesn't work. And when I when I've worked that invariably that when people are older and they're sort of much more adult and especially when they're much more expert, they don't want to take risks because they don't want to be bad at something. And we're all going to be fairly bad at the moment about how we go into the future, but we will get better. And with all of this, and the most important bit is we'll find our purpose. I think one of the greatest tragedies in society is that every human being has a talent, every single one, but either through lack of opportunity or lack of equality, we, many of us never get to find out what it is. And it may become your work, it may become your hobby, but it's, it's something that's very, very personal to you. And, and it's great for your self-esteem. And if you can find that invariably, as I say, you don't need to consume, you don't need to have conflict because you, you get your outlet in other ways. So if I quickly just go through the method bottle and I approach it in this way, in terms of the bottles, which you can find still in the supermarket, um, the design was all about uh, butterflies, obviously. It was refillable, it was recyclable. The story was about creating something that was so beautiful, you wouldn't want to throw it away. You would want to reuse it. Um, but ultimately, the story was about how can we protect the environment? So on each of these bottles, there was a little story, a little environmental thing. It's one of the reasons I agreed to do it at all. I said, if I can, if I can put a message on there so that people might want to put something in here and plant it or whatever, then, then I'll do it. And I've had a lot of pictures from people who have bought these bottles, and, and they do. They, they store them, and, and it's lovely. I've seen flowers in them and all sorts of things. Um, in terms of empathy, everybody cleans. You know, again, I wouldn't have thought, wow, I can get a message out to a ton of people because everybody cleans and everybody goes to the supermarket. It's fun. It's playful. You can pick it up. You can play with it in front of the light. And ultimately, it's a cleaning fluid. But every time you pick it up and you notice the butterflies, every now and again, I'm hoping you might think, oh, is there something that I can do on my windowsill? Is there something that I can do in my garden? When do the butterflies come out? The butterfly count actually will be in July, in August. If any of you are interested, you can always look at the Butterfly Conservation Center and see how you can join in. Bringing it to a close, um, almost. <laughs> um, 
so the one of my current projects at the moment which any of you live uh, near Forest Hill and you go past the Horniman is taking the idea of butterflies and bees a little further is Flower Girl who will waken upon the buzzing of the bees so she's uh, quite a big scale sculpture and she's been put in the bee garden first of her kind in the world because bees become uh, slightly disoriented if there's too much knocks in the air. So we're not, this is not a scientific experiment. I'm not trying to measure it. I cannot clean all of London air. That's not the purpose of this. But the fact that there are materials that if you can change your perception, if you can be divergent in your thinking, the fact that there are materials that can be used in other ways, again, in terms of the environment and sustainability, I think would be incredibly important. So she will hopefully help all the bees that uh, will uh, accumulate around these wonderful flowers and, and meadow grasses that are still growing, find their way to the bee hotels that have also been created around the museum. It's a brilliant museum, by the way. It was the first one to declare uh, a culture um, and climate emergency. And this idea of meadow flowers is now being extended to the verges of roadsides. Uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds are spent uh, by local boroughs all over the country in terms of trimming their grass. But in 2014, Dorset had such a lot of growth that the machines couldn't get through. So they decided to return to some ancient sort of uh, management uh, practices. And now throughout Dorset on the verges of roads, you have all these wildflowers and there's been an enormous return of invertebrates and other small animals. So this is an example of something where you don't actually have to do anything, you have to stop doing things. <laughs> and it's, it's incredibly beautiful. So something to take away. It's probably taken me a long time to come up with this very simple equation, but in terms of business, people want to be able to say that their businesses are innovative, that they can create change. Uh, innovation is not something that happens between 10 and 12 on a Tuesday. It's a whole mindset. And in order to be able to innovate, you have to be able to see the world from somebody else's perspective. This is important whether you're a business and you're trying to um, you know, create something new or whether you're simply trying to address a conflict with somebody else. This idea of being able to see something from a new perspective is incredibly powerful. And for me, the way that, that I do it is the creative thinking that I've done with kids for so many years and then the connection making, which I guess I'm continuing to do. Started with the physics and the art. Now I'm getting much more into the philosophy of things, starting to become very interested in ethics but this idea of if you can kind of keep on doing these things and remember it's it's a process that you just continue forever you can get to this new perspective so it is it's it's believing in yourself it's playing it's keeping an open mind it's staying curious and childlike i believe that the older we become the more childlike we should become um, the awe of science and art is one of the things that drives me don't judge your ideas don't judge other people's ideas sometimes some of the most ridiculous ideas are the best ones of all and I'm hoping that by doing this, uh, Maslow, again, a uh, psychologist, but the idea that if we can address our most basic of needs, which is why we need to be able to take care of our environment and our world, we can get to that stage where we become self-aware enough that we can then get to self-transcendence. And the point at which it's about self-transcendence is no longer about the I, it's totally about the we. And again, listening to so many talks today, 
the problems that we have can't be solved just on a country by country basis. This has to be a global joint things. And I know we have governments in the world at the moment that really aren't playing nice, but we're going to have to try and change that. Because if we can do this, if we can become more creative in our everyday work uh, or in our everyday living and then in our work, you know what? The idealist in me thinks, yeah, we can evolve to that, that ultimate level. Really, I'm kind of waiting for the time when we can all really start working together to make a world that can sustain all of us because we have the technology. We just, we just need the will to do it. So um, firstly, thank you. Um, so inspirational um, as, as always. Um, do, I do highly recommend going to see Flower Girl. She as, is absolutely stunning. I, I was lucky enough to bump into Jasmine in the Horniman um, the day after she was installed. Um, and it was a real pleasure to meet. Uh, thank to, you, Neil. To see Flower, meet, meet Flower Girl as well as Jasmine's dad. Um, so <laughs> the first question um, is from Carl. Um, yes, the butterfly effect is massive. What about having art on the other showing the attached photo and provide a message that we need to cut atmospheric methane that contributes to 25% of the world's greenhouse gases. Sorry, so what was the question, Neil? Uh, what about having art on the underground showing the attached photo and provide a message that we need to cut atmosphere? I would, I would love to. There, there are programs for art on the underground, but again, this is sort of open submission. The, the, was this Carl's question? Was it Carl? Yeah. Yes. One, yeah, of the interesting, one of the interesting things, Carl, is that I have experienced enormous resistance to some of this work until recently. Um, and this is, what, this is what has amazed me. I think that suddenly because the environment has become so personal and because people are suddenly appreciating it. So I anticipate, um, and I hate using the word greenwashing, let's hope that there isn't too much of that, but I anticipate that you will see much more call for art on this. So um, yes, if you know anyone on the underground, let me know, but I would be delighted to put something like that on the underground. Absolutely. Um, next question. We have been using more creative forms for students to describe their doctoral research. This is from Louise. Um, do you have any suggestions? We have done Bake Your Cake. There's a Dance Your Engineering project nationwide. Uh, so they've done cake making. I and think, a, sorry, what else have they done? Cake and making? A, a dance your engineering project. Dance. Oh, in the medium of dance. Oh, I love that. Um, well, one of the things that uh, Alessio and I have done is we have brought some very inane objects like balloons, sticks, pipe cleaners, um, plastic bottles. And I guess my challenge would be to to create from those, to create something that might be useful or something that's just purely beautiful. Um, yeah, I think it would be, yes, something, not recycling as such. It doesn't have to be all recycled materials, but what can you create with very limited materials? And, and then, because I've experienced that with Alessio in terms of Engineers Without Borders, when the students, you know, metaphorically have to go to these different places in the world, they're limited to what there is there. So I would probably love to see a project where you're limited and you see what you can come up with. Sounds great. Um, Lynn would like to know, you reminded me about bringing arts and sciences together during the Enlightenment period, which spawned the Industrial Revolution with all the pros and cons. How can we avoid the next revolution being hijacked by the left-hand brainers? I think it's already happening. I think... Um, the uh, venues, well, conferences like this, the fact that uh, people like me are now invited, uh, people like me doing all this stuff, we're being invited to all sorts of things. I think you, you um, 
particularly for artists and creative people, it's not simply about the output. It's not simply about what we make. I think we need to, just like everyone else, reinvent, not reinvent ourselves, but reinvent our narrative so that if we could show people how valuable the thinking is, a little bit like what I was just trying to explain, it won't be hijacked because then you will be able to, um, you know, speak to people and have conversations like this. And But it's difficult because invariably a lot of creative people don't really, you know, I know that I'm a, an introverted, no, extroverted introvert, that's right. <laughs> so it, it's difficult, but we have to try really hard. It's not, it's not good enough to say, no, I need to go into my cave. You've, not, you've got to basically start creating work that's, that's about society. I think years ago, I used to make things because I could. Now I am compelled to make things that really say something. And I think that's probably the only way to do it through your practice, through communicating how you think, and from just getting out there and being brave. And from also joining places like Culture Declares an Emergency, please look it up. It's still very new. They were uh, in the Tate last year. More and more museums are going to be looking at them, but there are bodies that you can join. Thank you. We've got some comments and um, some more questions in the chat box, actually. Um, Zoe says, um, I think it looks beautiful. Um, she's talking about your artwork and improving my ID skills looking at flowers has kept me sane during lockdown. It's a shame how many people want everything mode, though. <laughs> if it looks untidy, those are the attitudes we need to change. That's the small, that's the, that's the odd sock wearing thing I was talking about. You've got to go, do you know what? This is difficult, but I'm just going to let it go. I actually have a wonderful neighbor. I love her dearly. But every, every tin in her cupboard is ordered. When she goes on holiday, I go and turn them all around on purpose because I think it's good for her. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, yeah, you've got to try and, or just, you know what? Just take the fuse out of the mower so they won't be able to cut it anyway. Get creative with how you stop them cutting the <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Ian, we'd like to know, can Noxtech be applied to the outside of houses and businesses to absorb smog and polluted airs in the cities, villages and towns? That's how it was originally developed. And um, I, I have to sign a whole load of secrecy stuff with them. But so I don't know exactly what they're doing with it. But that's when it was originally developed. That's what it was for. It was for insulation. It was, you can heat this stuff up to 2000 degrees and it will be fine. It doesn't do anything. Um, but as with all bits of innovation, as I said earlier, it's it's timing has to be right. In the old days, I used to think that it has to be the right idea. I now understand that you can have the best ideas in the world, but if the timing isn't right, it's almost impossible. Now the timing is becoming right. So I'm hoping that companies like Alcatech and, and so many other companies that are doing brilliant things can get noticed. And this is why, I mean, obviously I love the challenge of making art with their material, but this is why I started working with them as well. Cause I thought perhaps I can lend to you some sort of, you know, get, get the message out in a way that you simply can't yourselves. You know, if you're a brilliant engineer or an inventor, invariably you're probably a bit rubbish about telling your story and vice versa. So we need to collaborate. We do need to collaborate. Thank you. Um, Nick would like to say, what a fantastic, interesting and colourful session. <laughs> Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, Ian, um, Ian's hopped up again. Um, they should install plants in glass casings in the underground network, replace all plastic containers with a cardboard alternative. 
yeah, one of the projects that I was looking at ages ago is about putting uh, some of the sculpture in underground stations. So that might be revisited at some point in the future. But really, for me, one of the, the one of the benefits of doing a conference like this as well is that you start to network with people who are looking for the types of things that everyone is doing, and they suddenly go, oh. I, I know where you could put something like that, or I know what you could do with something like that. Um, and so we're all here to help one another. And following on from that, Chris um, has very kindly said, Jasmine, I used to work for Transport for London and still in touch with former colleagues. I would try to find a contact for art on the underground. So, Yay, it's, you. you know, that spirit <laughs> of collaboration and helping and working together to make a difference. Thank you. I appreciate really coming that. through there. Um, We've got um, Catherine, um, love the quotation from Picasso. I also often think about the sense of wonder I had as a child and how it used to be easier to notice nature and simple feelings and sensations. But the lovely thing is, is that during COVID-19, I think lots of people have rediscovered that sense of wonder for nature. Yes, no, I, I, I completely agree. I, I think it was the date that you made with yourself, wasn't it? Because you couldn't, you couldn't go and see other people. So it was, you'd get ready to go for a walk, wouldn't you? And, um, and you might, I know a couple of times I was just live feeding it. I never live feed things on Instagram, but the things were so lovely. I thought, oh, I really want to share this. Um, I just, I just don't want us to forget that. I just don't want us to get so distracted that we forget that. Please, let's not forget that because that's true and it's it's already happening it already feels like it's happened things are going back to normal a bit too quickly yeah yeah so guys we've got to keep reminding people to wear odd socks go for a walk notice things take care of one another let's not go back to the old crappy normal because sorry did i say that uh let's not go back to the old normal <laughs> let's create a new better normal we're all adults here um <laughs> tim would like to know what do you do with nox tech when it's spent you can, when the pieces for me don't work, I crush them up and I use them again, but you could actually plant them. When they were developing it, they, uh, Michael uh, put some of it in his allotment because it will absorb the nox and then when it rains, it will, it will wash away as a weak acid, but it is a very weak acid. So he put it in his allotment and things grew because it is a naturally occurring material, although they add other things to it, which I don't know. But yeah, you could, in theory, crush it up, put it in the ground or reuse it to sort of bulk out other things. Thank you very much, Jasmine. That is, that's all we've got time for today. And that's actually <laughs> the you. end of the question. We've just got, oh, we've just got one more comment pop up. Um, yeah, look, just lots of, lots of kind of recommendations. Thank you, saying, thank you. Excellent, and thank you. So no, thank, thank you. you. Um, thanks for joining us. So we're thank you everyone for coming. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And Neil, thank you for organizing a splendid day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sustainability Research Pod. This is one of a series of podcasts where members of the Sustainability Research Group hosted at London South Bank University share their work and work with others in the sustainability field. Please share and subscribe to wherever you find your podcast to automatically receive more episodes.